and welcome to the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Frank Scavatici. I'm doing a solo episode today without my partner, John. John's actually um, about to get on the road and go to Florida. He is done with his um, out-processing of the Army, and he is he's full-time self-employed, just like I am. So I'm very, very excited about that. I'm uh, excited for him and his journey. But because he's unavailable, I'm doing this solo. And today I want to talk about technology. I'd say once every quarter or so, John and I, or one of us will do an episode on our tech stack and how we leverage technology to run our business. Um, Our business is virtual or remote. We tend to not live near any of the properties we uh, that we buy or or manage. I live in New York and we do invest in sunshine, sunshine state. So I actually have not seen any of the properties um, that we've bought, despite a couple of trips to Oklahoma I've made over the last two years. So we have we need tech to run that type of business. You absolutely need it. And today I'm going to focus mostly on our storage business and what technology stack we use and how it's changed over the last six months since we started this company. So um, here we go. I'm going to start with acquisitions and I'm going to move through the different functions of that of our organization, and I'll finish with um, operations and investor relations. So I'm going to move from left to right, I guess. Um, in the deal cycle. So for acquisitions, um, one important tool that we use is Radius Plus. Radius Plus for self-storage is a data aggregator, amongst other things it does. Radius as a website has publications. You can go on that website and learn about storage, which is awesome. But the primary purpose we use it for is data. When we underwrite a facility, let's uh, let's use our last acquisition as an example in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, it's 400 unit place we got under contract and, um, we're buying at around a six cap, which you're like, Hey, Oklahoma six cap doesn't sound like incredible, right? Like it sounds like pretty average deal, whatever. Um, but what radius told us is radius told us that all of the market rents for the adjacent facilities, all the facilities within three to five miles of our facility had rents that at the top were 40% greater um, price per square foot than the facility we were looking at, right? They had every single they had every single REIT was on the website that we saw for that market, so we could see all the top pricing, and we could see the pricing by unit type. So we could see the pricing for a ten by ten non climate or climate control and compare it to the rents at our facility. And we found that the facility we were looking at was extremely under market rent, like forty percent, like I said before. So that's an opportunity, right? We know we can have a lot of operational value add on that facility. If you're not interested in self-storage, maybe you're in single family, maybe you're in multifamily, there still tends to be data aggregators in all asset classes. So I would urge you to look at a data aggregator so you can underwrite your deals better than everybody else, right? So spend money there because your more sophisticated competition is spending money on data. So spend money on data, okay? Um, And then on acquisitions, we're still a little bit, uh, I guess, immature here, but in terms of underwriting deals and actually doing the work, we're using Google Sheets and Excel. So uh, we're um, we're probably a lot like 90% of the population. We're still using Microsoft Office to do the actual math. Okay, so now we own the facility. Now we're asset managers. What are we using to manage a facility? We use a couple of different tools. Um, right now, we're currently using ESS or Easy Storage Solutions, which I think is a a good tool for someone who's starting out. It's not overly expensive. It's less expensive than a lot um, of the more sophisticated or robust software solutions that's storable, the parent company operates or owns. 
it, uh, it does a good job of keeping track of our tenants, what plans they're on, what revenue is being collected. It has some reporting capabilities. Um, it does offer tenant protection or insurance um, through the tool. And that's an easy integration you can make. And uh, you know, it, it also has payment processing, right? So you can re- receive payments through ESS and you can uh, deposit that directly into your bank account. So it works. Like You can run a single storage facility through ESS. We are going to move in Q2 to Storage, which is the higher end solution offered by Storable. And why, why do we do that, right? Well, for one, these websites also um, are directly integrated with the customer facing website. So right now, if I go to graylinestorage.com and I'm not logged in, I see the customer facing website. I see what our customers see, right? Someone goes to our webpage and they want to rent a unit. I can see what they see. Using my owner's login on the same exact website, I then get the owner's view, right? So these these websites are internally and externally facing storage and ESS. And unfortunately, ESS just doesn't have the best user interface if you have multiple facilities in one market. So I think if you're if you're starting to expand or scale and have multiple facilities in one location or one state, storage is going to start making more sense. You'll have to do some more digging on your own to figure out why and what it looks like. But that's one thing I will call out. So that, And that's really important, right? Your customer is going to your website and renting units is one of the most important functions of your business. So you want that to be really, really good. Um, in addition to that, um, storage, in my opinion, from what I've seen, does a better job of allowing um, conversion tracking for your marketing campaigns. If you're using Google ads, um, Conversion tracking is really important. You want to see how much money you're spending and how much, um, how many dollars it takes to convert a customer. That's a, it's an important metric, and it's really hard to do that via ESS. I still have not found a way to effectively manage or measure conversion tracking, and Storage allows that. Um, and there are certain processes that also you can automate, at least a little bit more on Storage than you can um, via ESS. You can automate the auction process to a certain extent using storage and there's better reporting. So I, uh, I'm willing to spend a couple hundred bucks extra a month for those capabilities as we scale. Um, for ops management, and this is, um, I think that you can use Notion, the tool we use, agnostic um, of asset class. We use it in our storage business. I think you could use it for almost any business where you have remote workers. It's a great place to manage tasks. Um, the way it looks is it, it kind of looks like, um, if anyone's familiar with, how tech teams operate, it kind of looks like a scrum board, uh, which are basically status boards where individual contributors can take their tasks, put it on the board and move them from different statuses. And the statuses are completely customizable to whatever you want. You know, ours are very simple. It's like to do in progress, complete, right? You can make them as complicated or simple as you want. And you can move each card or, or task from left to right across the board and provide updates to your boss um, or your peers as you as you execute that task. So which was just great, right? Um, we actually have that integrated with Slack. This is a recommendation I would make if you're using any type of project management tool or task management tool, and you're also using some type of platform for internal communications, I would heavily urge anyone to have them talk to each other because you've had people making updates in a task board and then also making updates in an internal communications tool, that's a redundant communication. So Notion does integrate with Slack and other internal comm tools. And I think that's super, super important in terms of being efficient, saving time, and making sure there's less contradictory information circulating through your company. So that's something I really, really like about Notion. Thank you to uh, Redwood Ryan, another storage operator for pointing me in that direction. For marketing, 
we use a couple tools. What's important to focus on marketing if you're in storage? Sparefoot is a aggregator, as they say. I think another one's called like Storage Cafe or whatever. We use Sparefoot. Sparefoot is a place where if you pay um, Sparefoot a fee, they will list your storage facility on their website. And their website tends to pop up in the top three organic search for storage facilities. So if a customer in your city says, find self-storage near me, sparefoot.com is going to be one of the top three searches that pop up on the organic search part of Google most of the time. Then if they click on Sparefoot, your facility should be listed on there. Hopefully it's near the top of the Sparefoot directory. That really depends on how many other storage operators are using Sparefoot in your market. In my market, um, we're actually number one almost every single time because no one uses Sparefoot. It's in Oklahoma. It's a little bit more rural than like Miami, let's say. So we have an advantage there. So it's super, super effective for us. They charge us a um, a, a one point, it's either 1.5 or 1.7 um, of one month's rent for every unit that's rented. So if a unit is rented for $100 and uh, that, that customer is converted, we pay Sparefoot $150. So it makes sense um, if your customers are staying on average 10 months, let's say, or longer, that's going to be a good investment. Uh, we also use PPC, pay-per-click um, via Google ads. I think every small business owner, regardless of self-storage, should eventually learn how to run Google ads. Google ads are incredibly powerful. Um, and I, I would also say don't outsource it. There's so many people offering outsourced solutions for business owners that don't want to learn how to do digital marketing. And what a lot of them are doing is they have a sales rep come on, or maybe it's the owner themselves. They come on, they talk to you, they tell you how great their performance is in their existing campaigns. Then you pay them, they set up your campaigns, and then they don't pay a lot of attention to them. Or they will have some offshore labor in the Philippines or maybe Pakistan or El Salvador. They will manage your campaigns. So you have like a, another third party kind of kind of managing it for you. And in order for them to make a lot of money or scale their business, they just get further and further away from your campaigns. And what happens over time is your campaigns just get less attention, right? At max, you're having someone go in and tweaking, tweaking them every two weeks. And there's, there's, ven there's people I know that are doing this that are not tweaking those campaigns or improving them at all, right? Um, so my general take is I would recommend people learn how to do it. So one, um, you're not reliant on outside parties, or even if you are, going to choose to outsource it down the road, you can call bullshit when people aren't doing their job, right? So we are doing it ourselves. Um, the other thing I would add is Google is get, getting better and better at running these campaigns. Like Google is iterating Google ads. Two years ago, you couldn't optimize campaigns or tell campaigns to optimize for certain things. For example, um, two years ago, you'd say, hey, I want to I tell Google to get me the most clicks possible, right? Now you can optimize for conversions. Conversions can be classified as a customer actually paying you or you made the sale. So Google will start to do machine learning and say, okay, what type of customer or person is converting at a high level for Frank's business? I'm going to send ads or target ads for them, right? So Google's constantly iterating this thing and improving it. So I think learning it now is important because it's not going away. It's actually just going to get more and more commonly used and you got to compete with those people that are using it. So definitely emphasize um, running campaigns on your, on your own. And uh, finally for marketing, um, you want to have a good Google My Business page, right? I'm not going to go over how to set up a good Google My Business page. Just go to YouTube, type in Optimize My GMB or Google My Business page and just do all that stuff, right? It's pretty simple, straightforward stuff. Anyone could do it, but definitely, definitely do it. Um, investor relations, I'm going to glance over this really, really quick. 
Um, right now for investor relations, um, we're, I'm sending emails and I'm communicating directly because we're still a small private equity firm, but we are going to purchase Juniper Square um, in Q2 as well. So I will provide an update in a future episode on how we're automating our IR. And then finally, I alluded to this in my last statement, the last technology tool um, we use is email. And uh, the reason I mentioned this is we're still at a phase in our business where I am personally, or John is personally providing updates to our investors via email. So we don't, and we don't use templates. We don't, uh, it's unscaled activity, I guess I can call it. Um, But I actually enjoy writing our investors on a, every two weeks or on a, I guess, semi-monthly, I hope I'm saying that right, semi-monthly basis. Um, I kind of just, I like the the direct contact and I like that I can provide them some anecdotal information and general thoughts on our investments because um, it adds a little bit of a personal touch and creates the impression that we are accessible to them. And I think for a young company that's hungry and growing, that is appropriate. I don't think we're at the level where some boilerplate automated email going out to our first investors is appropriate. So I want the extra touch with those persons. So we're still doing that. And I think we'll probably do that through the end of the year um, for two reasons. One, I think it's good um, if we want those investors to come back for a second investment. And two, I still enjoy doing it. So that's that's how we do it. Um, that's all I got. If anyone's got questions or uh, wants to reach out, my Twitter handle is at Frank Scat with two Ps. And I'm happy to chat this stuff. I love it. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Thank you guys. And see you next week.